It was the slowest, deadest part of the night, when time itself was barely moving, and André Duran was wide awake again. Two months had passed since he and his bel ami, Blousette Lescaut, had moved from her place in the French Quarter into his deceased parents' house in the Garden District. Andy, only his relatives used the formal André, couldn't recall a decent night's sleep in all that time. Something was wrong. Wrongest of all, he didn't know what it was. Maybe it was just the quiet. The Garden District was as purely New Orleans as the Quarter, yet altogether different and maddeningly quiet. In the Quarter, especially around Bluzette's big house on Burgundy Street, prowling humanity had kept the night hours full of sounds, music, laughter, drunken shouts and curses, the occasional scream, and the recurring punctuation of police sirens, much like New York, another place Andy had called home. Here, in the moldering, genteel, historic garden district, nothing ever stirred in the soft, ghostly darkness. Occasionally a dog might bark, or a cat skitter across the roof, or he'd hear the faint rattle of a streetcar moving along St. Charles Avenue. Andy liked it when a storm would roll in across the bayous from the Gulf of Mexico. He'd drift into dreams amidst the comforting sounds of thunder and wind and drumming rain, but then he'd awaken again to the thick, heavy, dead, quiet. Worse than the quiet was the lack of music. In the quarter, there was always music, a nearby radio or phonograph, someone playing a sax or a harmonica or a guitar, at any odd hour of the night. In the garden district, no one played anything. Here the night was for sleeping, or the dull babble of some idiot television set. Sometimes, of course, for better or worse, there was the telephone. It rang now, a sudden shrill summons. Andy rolled over and snatched up the receiver, lest another ring awaken the lovely dark-haired woman slumbering beside him. Bluzette did not appreciate late-night disturbances. She'd had enough of those in her previous career. Yes, he said quietly into the mouthpiece. The easy, rumbly, slow-talking voice on the other end belonged to Lieutenant Paul Maljou of the French Quarter's Vieux-Carré District Police Station. A good friend of Durand's in high school, Maljou was a better one now, two decades later. There was a slight edge of excitement to his speech, but no real urgency. Never that. Maljou would doubtless make a long, rambling soliloquy out of his call for help if he were drowning. Sorry to wake you, Andy boy. I wouldn't do it, except that I thought you might be grievous vexed with me if I didn't, considering what's afoot. You didn't wake me, said Durane. I was just lying here listening to the clouds move. What's up? Well, if you haven't hocked all those fancy cameras of yours, I think I got a job of work for you. Work? When he'd been living in New York, Andy had been one of the most successful fashion and celebrity photographers in the business. He'd had picture spreads in Vanity Fair and done covers for Vogue, and once, even honored with a small solo exhibition at the Whitney Museum. Since coming back home to New Orleans, with his mental state and career in tatters, he'd supported himself mostly by shooting parties and weddings and freelancing the occasional crime story.
His earnings for the month just ended had come to $532.75. He'd convinced himself that he didn't mind, that it was worth it just to be out of New York and the fast lane and back in New Orleans, the natural habitat of the burned-out case, a town known for the slows. Kind of a late hour for wedding pictures, he said, or as someone after a high school graduation portrait. Ain't no nuptials we got on our hands here, Andy, Melger said. You're still selling crime photos to the newspapers, right? On the rare occasion when they're willing to part with a few extra bucks, which isn't often these days, well, I think this is going to be one of those occasions. We got us a real first-class murder, a homicide très sérieuse. You know Crayfish Joe Coquin?